Welcome to Screw the Stock Market. On this show, we discuss a variety of alternative asset classes, tools to help you unleash your money, a success mindset, and inspiration to see what's possible when we do things differently. Hi. Before we jump into the episode, I just wanted to take a quick moment to thank you guys for being such avid listeners and also to give you an opportunity to participate in various investment opportunities with Alex and I. Some of the same deals that we talk about will be offered to you so you can put to action what you've learned. Just go to www.screwthestockmarket.com and hit the Invest With Us button at the top of the page. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Screw the Stock Market. Uh, today, we, are, we have a return guest. Uh, the Honorable Dr. Albert Dunn is with us. Um, Albert is in town in Washington, D.C. for a conference. And so we all just got dinner. And we were going to do this recording in person. We were going to all sit here on this couch and do it. But we're so used to these. I don't actually know how to record an in-person thing with three different people talking. So we said, hey, just go back to your hotel. You go back to your house. And then we'll record it on Zoom. Which is pretty messed up, actually. Like, what kind of a 2023 thing is that? Um, Al, we're happy to have you again, man. Thanks for having me back, buddy. It's been fun. It's been a fun trip. You got, yeah, you, you got like a little uh, mood mystique lighting going on over there. It's all seductive. You know what? I'm pretty... I'm pretty convinced that Chris was in this room before me. Like, I have one working lamp in this hotel room. The other two have been blacked out. They don't work at all. Both phones were disconnected. One, the the cord to one phone has been cut. I had to rehook up the other phone. So if there was, if, and he was just here, you said, like last week, right? Yeah. I mean, he's yeah. a ghost. It's a. He's a very paranoid friend. <laughs> he, he's a ghost and he's on a way. <laughs> so I think this was maybe the exact same room. Maybe You're secure at least. It might be. Well, no one's listening in on our conversation. Um, well, we so hope they are. the impetus for this. <laughs> oh, we hope not. No, we yeah. hope they are. <laughs> we want people to hear. We hope. Well, when we publish it, but not like right now. No one's listening to Alec. All right, all right, but yeah, we do hope that you are listening to this. Listen to the podcast, to people. Yeah. It's useful. It's very useful. Yes, it is. There you go. Give you guys a shout out. So Appreciate it. So the impetus for this episode was Al told me a story. We were just catching up on the phone. And it's a terrible story. It's the best. Story. And I just said, Aziz got to hear the story. No, it's not. It's terrible. <laughs> but go ahead. Let's get into it. Go. All right. Tell us a story, Al. And then <laughs> Aziz is just going to let you have it. All right. So I'm going to debate a lawyer. And I can't, I can't twist words and truth as well as you can, my man. <laughs> so. You mean use facts? <laughs> yes. Go. So I bought it at the end Wait, of hold my on. Before, residency. Before we, start, before we start the conversation, I think we should let people know what the topic of the, today's discussion is. It's about negotiation, okay. just so you can keep it in within context. So Al will present his view on negotiation, and then I'll give you my counter yeah. view to his terrible approach. But go ahead. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. All right. So, yeah, within the context of negotiating, I got, in, I got a new vehicle. 
Um, and I had been driving my old vehicle, which was the first brand new vehicle that I'd ever purchased in my life for like the last decade. And I drove it pretty much till it started rattling like really heavy and I wasn't prepared for the rattle. I didn't have another vehicle like to back it up and I had to get it repaired because I didn't have another car to like fall back on. Right. Didn't really have a choice. So I got like a rental and the rental was horrible. It smelled like, you know, cigarettes, alcohol, and shame. And I had to drive that for like three weeks <laughs> while my, while my old Jeep was getting fixed. Right. So then my Jeep gets fixed. I get it back and I'm like, Oh, it's good. It's riding again. You know, just like the good old days. And I just kept riding it. And then it probably wasn't even four, maybe six months later, it got that same rattle again, right? And I was like, this isn't going to go well. Because I had spent, you know, like $4,700 to get it fixed. And at most, it's worth maybe 5500 bucks, right? I mean, that's on a good day, probably. So I was like, I want to get Sounds a new like vehicle. Sounds like time for a new car. Right. But I had started doing some research on vehicles from the time I had to pay to get it fixed over the last time to now. Right. So I kind of knew what I wanted and it started rattling again. And I was like, that's it. I'm getting a new vehicle today. Like today's the day I'm getting a new vehicle today. I don't really have time to get a vehicle today, but I'm getting a vehicle today because I'm not paying another five grand to fix a car that's only worth five grand. So I just spent 10 grand to fix my car. That's only worth five grand. If that makes any sense. So I get on my phone and I'm like, I want to get a Raptor. I want a Ford F-150 Raptor. It's a pretty, pretty sweet truck. So I search for Raptors near me and there's like one in a dealership that's not too far away. And so I pull it up, I look at it, it looks like a decent Raptor. It's like, this is what I want. And so I called the dealership and I was like, hey, do you guys have a Raptor on the lot? And they said, why, yes, we do. We have one. I was like, perfect. How late are you open till? They said, we're open till 7 p.m. And I said, I'll be there at 6.45. And the guy was like, whoa, you come in at 6.45, we know we close at 7.00. I was like, yep, and if you're there and the Raptor's there and it's in good shape, I promise you you're getting a sale today. And so that's what I did, right? And I actually wound up showing up at 650 because I'm perpetually behind usually. And so then I go. Hmm. And... Like someone I know. <laughs> it only takes two minutes, right? So. Disease's favorite line. Only take we'll get into that later. Yeah. yeah. So I get to the dealership. They have the Raptor up front. Walk inside. Meet the dealer. He's a really nice guy. Go walk out to the Raptor. He hands me the keys. And it was dark out. And it looked black. And the Raptor I saw online was black. And then I'm looking at the keys. And the keys are saying that it's blue. And I was like, hey, is this the right Raptor? And the guy goes, oh, we only got the one. I was like, the one online was black. This one says blue. And he was like, huh, that's weird. And sure enough, it was a different Raptor than what they had online. But it's still a Raptor, so it's still pretty sweet. I mean, I don't mind blue. So 
then I'm like, is this a 2022 or 2023? And he's like, oh, it's a 2023. I was like, oh, well, that's cool because the one online was a 2022. Um, the only difference between the two being is that because of the supply chain issues, they don't have the computer chips to do a heated steering wheel. I've never had a heated steering wheel in any car I've ever driven, but, you know, lots of people have, and they tell me they're the best thing. And I always had it in my mind that, you know, I want to have a heated steering wheel in my next vehicle because it sounds awesome. But the 2023 doesn't have it, nor can it ever have it because they don't have the computer chip for it. So I was a little disappointed in that, and, but I was like, oh, that's like very upper middle class first world problem i can survive but it's got like heated seats air conditioned seats it's a tank it can drive through everything you know it hauls it's it's like a sweet ride it's nicest car i've ever had so i test drive it i'm like all right sold sign me up and he was like really i was like told you i'd buy it and then so we go back we go back to like his little room here and uh, he starts getting all the paperwork done and you know, all this stuff. And then he comes in and he's like, you know, we got a black one at this place that they can ship up to us. But it had like this decal on the side. And I was like, I don't want a decal. I just want, you know, I want it murdered out. Right. Just like plain. And he was like, all right, oh, that's cool. So they, then they're like, how do you want to pay for it? I was like, well, I guess that depends on what your interest rates are. And he goes and you know gets a list of the interest rates and they're through the roof for people buying cars now i can't imagine like how high it is it was like 9.8 percent right so i was like well if that's the case i'm just gonna buy it buy it outright and he's like well how do you plan to pay for it i was like how do people i haven't bought a car in a decade man help me out how do people usually pay for it right but he's like well if you want to pay for it outright you need a cashier's check He's like, we might be able to take a personal check or a money transfer. I was like, well, the bank's closed, and uh, I'm not getting to a bank anytime soon, so that option's not going to work. And he's like, well, we can't really have you buy it any other way. I was like, well, then I guess we're not buying a Raptor today. And then he goes, well, hold on. Let me figure something out. So then he went, and he found that you know, I could uh, – get but then just pay off the finance real quick right so then i didn't have to do that so i was He's like i'm gonna let you leave you're his this. cash cow <laughs> so i'm like perfect sign me up for that and he's like okay you know this is like twenty thousand dollars down i'm like okay perfect he's like how are you gonna pay for that do you have a check on checkbook on you i'm like no who carries a checkbook on him nowadays i don't have a checkbook on me I was like, credit card. And he goes, well, we can't take more than five grand on a credit card. I was like, well, then we're back to me not buying a car today, man. I'm sorry. That's the end of it. He's like, well, when can you come back? I was like, you know as well as I do. I don't know. Like, I could be not available for months. Like, it's this is this was my window. So that sucks. And I leave without a car. And he goes, well, hold on, let me make some calls, right? So then sure enough, I'm allowed to use a credit card all of a sudden to buy it, right? So then they fill up, you know, do all the paperwork and get all this stuff done. And uh, they detail it for me, which was super nice because it was, at this point, we're like past 9.30, 
almost 10 o'clock at night probably and they close at seven and uh you know he's doing all this work on detailing it making it super sweet and i'm like emptying out my my old jeep while uh you know the paperwork is being processed and then i go and i meet with the finance guy and the finance guy um is like you know can you at least make two payments on this because they yell at us if we do loans for people knowing that they're just going to pay it off right away because they don't make any money but at least if you make two payments they'll make you know whatever with the interest rate that high quite a bit of money uh in that short period of time and i'm like i'll be honest with you no that's not going to happen i'm going to pay it off as soon as i can because that's a ridiculous interest rate and the guy just looked at me and he was like all right fair so he filled it out anyway and i wound up leaving that night at close to 11 o'clock at night with a 2023 ford raptor and that's my new ride and that was my negotiation story. And so my right, argument let's... was that no, 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 you don't get to interrupt yet. So my, <laughs> my argument was that the purpose of my negotiation was what I needed was a new car before my old car died again. And I had a huge out-of-pocket expense for my old car in a time frame that is unreasonable to ask of pretty much any business, right? No one really does that. But they were willing to do it, and it was all because you will get a sale. Okay. All right? So know your objectives. Yeah. And fight for those. Prioritize that. Right. Would you say that kind of sums up your, your strategy? Pretty much. Like, I had a goal, and that's what I followed. Can you give the, the audience a little background? Because they might not realize how time is for you, Al. Yeah, so I'm a, I'm a orthopedic surgeon in a private practice, and I have three kids that are seven years old, six years old, and six years old. So basically Irish triplets there. And um, there's no family around helping us. It's just my wife and I. And my practice involves a lot of fairly like involved, complex things that eat up a boatload of time. Like there's a lot of time, even if it's not just the surgeries can be long, but the prep time, the research, the templating, the imaging study analysis, the measurements, the math, like planning out, writing down the surgery step by step so that my OR knows what's going on so we can keep things as safe and efficient as we can. Plus, you know, you can't do surgery without operating rooms, right? And even though I'm private practice, I am at the will of the healthcare systems to provide me operating rooms for the most part. And the healthcare systems are horrible about respecting your time. So, like, equipment goes bad, staff just doesn't stay. You know, you'll be in the middle of a case, and people will like be like, "Oh, time to punch out." You'll be like, "Well, what do you mean it's time to punch out? Well, it's not time to punch out. Time to punch out is when we're done, and we're not done. So, what the hell are you talking about? You know, but that's unfortunately." 
the kind of the post COVID culture that has occurred. Um, so, you know, my normal day, I get up at five, I leave my house usually between quarter to six or quarter after just quarter after six, depending on what I have to do. I will get back to my home on average, probably about, um, eight or nine o'clock at night. And then I have my own little office in my house and I will work in my office probably till about midnight or so. Um, sometimes a little bit earlier, sometimes a little bit later, probably till about midnight or so. And then it's usually wash, rinse or repeat. And if I do have a day off that day. Okay. So that's important background when it comes to the context of your priority of getting this done today because you couldn't come back tomorrow with that schedule and they close at seven and you're not done by seven. Okay. Aziz. So ready to respond. <laughs> so cause I know how you buy cars. Yes, I'm very meticulous about when I buy cars or anything in general, but especially cars. I, I will, I will say this. I will say this based on the basic principles of prioritizing goals and objectives. Um, you are not wrong, Al. So I will, I will give you that. Because in this case, your time is I more valuable than anything else. It's your... I'll, I'll give you that in that <laughs> sense. My objectives, however, are, are different. It's not so much time. Um, it's about money for me. So the fact that you probably played close to MSRP destroys me and my inner cheap-ass African on so many levels <laughs> for this vehicle. It's just it. I'm I'm having I'm having like acid reflux now. Just even just rethinking about <laughs> this whole scenario right now. Like that is why these people kept this place open until eleven o'clock because you did not even try to nickel and dime them on the price that they probably overcharged you on for this vehicle. I do want to clarify. Did at any point did you even ask for a reduction in price? Like no. What can you do for me? Did you? No. no. Yeah. Never. Okay. Yeah. They showed me so, the MSRP. So, okay. They showed attention to. Eh? It. It was only below because they're probably getting reimbursed by the dealer, not the dealership, but the manufacturer for a certain amount of the MSRP price. So you pretty much, they, they didn't lose any money on you whatsoever. They made a boatload. Uh, and, and, and for those of you who don't know the value of this car, it's a pretty damn expensive ass car. All right. So it, it, it's, not, it's not like even like it's nickels and dimes. It's quite a substantial sum. So the fact that you didn't attempt to negotiate is killing me on many levels normally in my approach because money is the motivating factor and saving as much of it as possible is the motivating goal i will research the price i will look and see how much has been paid on average throughout the region um i will contact multiple dealers uh online and i'll get written offers from each one of them and i will play them against each other for about a week or so until i get the absolute lowest price possible complete with taxes fees everything included and at the end of the day that is what i'm going to end up paying and it usually ends up being a substantial discount on what they try to tell me is their best price so that's the way i negotiate and that's the way that i approach it but however going back to the main principle of what i said initially that i don't condemn you al because again when you're going into any type of negotiation you got to keep in mind objective and goal your objective and goal was to save as much time as possible and i think in the context of 
I'm bringing it back to the context of this podcast, which is business and uh, assets and purchasing assets and real estate specifically. Um, sometimes it's okay to overpay for an asset, like let's say a property, because you know at the end of the day you're going to cash flow more than you're going to get back more in cash flow than what you're going to be overpaying for the price of the property. But in that case, your goal and objective is to get as much cash flow as possible. So you're okay overpaying a little bit. In the same context, your objective and goal was to maximize your time as much as possible. So you were okay with overpaying so, for so, a truck that you should not have overpaid for in any way, shape, or form because your time and your time and peace of mind was more valuable. So I'll, I'll, with that said, all right, I, so, I do commend you on sticking to your objectives. It would not have been How my objective, but I will commend you on sticking to your objective. Really, and people should always keep that in mind when they're going into any type of negotiation. The research the bidding of one dealership against another, the written proposals, start to finish during the course of this one week. You know, because you know, you're a law, you're a lawyer. You work on lawyer time, right? The more that you work, the better off you are, right? Because lawyers get paid by the hour. Uh, well, what? <laughs> well, first, most attorneys are not going to bill for the full amount of time they actually spend on this. Because if they actually bill for all of the hours and time they put on something, the, no, no one will pay that. I mean, it's tremendous. So you always take end up taking a cut uh, on your time in that regard. Um, we do work hard, Al. <laughs> Um, but in terms of the car, um, for me, on average, I spend maybe about a week, usually, kind of going back and forth with folks um, before I narrowed it down to a price that I was happy at. Because normally, that's how long it takes before they're like, we will not go below this amount. And all of them across the board all say, we will not go below this amount. Um, and you'll have your price at that point. So about a week, you know, the m most amount of research is normally done up front at the first day when you're just kind of researching the general prices to get your starting point. So maybe like, you know, an hour, maybe two at the most, kind of researching the baseline price to start off with with your negotiation. And then from there, it's just shooting out an email every day for that one week period. I mean, it's usually just copy and paste and change the name of who you're sending it to uh, and the amount that you're asking for based on what the previous person quoted you uh, and see if they can beat that. So that literally will take you five minutes. So over the span of a week, literally, literally five minutes, five copy minutes. and paste, copy and paste. Okay. All right. <laughs> so yesterday when you came to dinner and you called and you were like, Hey, I'm almost there, but now I'm going to have a little detour. I'm going to go pick up Virginia. It's well, just 10, it'll take me 10 have, minutes. I'll be a little bit late. You have to okay, compose that's completely the email. Right? That was 10 minutes. How long does it take to and copy and paste an email? Minutes. How long does it take to copy and paste an email? You've done it. <laughs> Five minutes at the most, and that's being generous. No, that's done on day one when Are I send that the, the first. After well, actually, day two when I send that the first email after I've done the research the previous day. And the emails are short; they're not anything long. Uh, that's not. I didn't count that into the time. If I'm going to do a test drive, that will be done way in advance. I'll because I hate going into the dealership. The second you walk in, you're trapped, and they won't let you go. And that's like a time suck, if anything. I mean, you'll be there for hours for that. Now that I can't deal with. Because um, I will say, like the 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 
struggle I've had with doing your strategy, I've done it, but is that the dealers won't give me a price. You know, you call them or you, you, you email them and you say, hey, do you have this car? How much is it? What can you do for me? And they'll say, come on in. We'll, we'll talk about it here. I'm out of state. And they don't even try to give you a price. I'm out of state. I'm, I'm moving yeah, there in a month. I need to buy it before I arrive. Give me a price now or I'm just going to go someplace else. <laughs> and that's what I ended up having to do. I had to just go someplace else a lot because no one was, would do no, it No, if for you me. tell them something like that, but they normally do. I mean, that, they've done it for me. I will admit that Aziz has been able to talk his way into, into and out of stuff that I have not been able to talk to my way into or out of. So totally, we got to have Priya come on the show one day and tell the story about the movies. Um, <laughs> let's not talk about that. <laughs> but, um, all right. So, all right, let's, let's talk about some takeaways, right? So I think you guys are in agreement the about then the objectives and the idea really the way that I've heard this phrased a lot is the idea that there's a difference between the price and the terms mm -hmm. and it's they call it a law of price and terms in negotiation which is the idea that if you set the price then i get to set the terms so you say fine you have your price but i need my car today or with the diseases thing it's like hey more like hey let's just hammer hammer them on the price and at the end of the day the terms were flexible right like you could wait a week or two weeks to get your car because you, you could. So it seems like so far everything is kind of well, lining up with well, that Well, law. I'll say this. I did let them set the terms because I let them all to believe that I would finance it through them um, because that's really how they make their money is through the financing. Um, so even though they were getting screwed on the price, because they believed I was going to finance it through them, they were willing to kind of like go with it in terms of my price setting. Um, and... Normally, what I would do is I would actually get a better loan from a bank at a much better rate, do the initial financing with them, then turn around and just pay it off with the bank loan instead, um, like immediately. So, again, I mean, they set the terms, but then I kind of screwed them on the terms. I don't know. <laughs> but <laughs> no, I allowed them to believe too. that they were setting the terms. And the reason I think this is so funny is because I know for you, Aziz, part of it is you want to beat them yeah, but there's <laughs> like and that's something like the competitiveness of <laughs> and that's something that I, al didn't have at all he's just like hey give me what i want and i'll be happy and you'll be happy that sounds like a win-win and you actually want to like win and them lose well, no it goes back to objectives my objective is to save money i mean you know me i'm cheap so saving money is my objective al is saving time that's his objective it's two different objectives and we the way you approach your negotiation is geared towards meeting whatever objective you set um so at the end of the day i mean we're both winners in that sense i wouldn't have done it the way he'd done it but he still ended up happy and i ended up happy with my approach so fundamentally, I think that's the key lesson that you know people should be getting out of this conversation. Negotiation always yeah, begins with, with making that. sure and that you have an objective in I, mind and ensuring the things that you do yeah, so lead you towards that, that objective think, at the end of the day. I think the other thing is to keep in mind is the goal right. to find a well, solution or um, an answer. You know, I guess my last or, point I want to you know accomplish what you want, or is the goal to, as you put it, win right to beat them 
So, cause there's a big difference. There's a big difference. We, I run into that in medicine all the time. Like my job isn't to win. Certainly. Yeah. Um, but winning is fun for me. The, the last thing, the it is <laughs> the last thing I wanted to share was just a, a, a recommendation of a book uh, that I read um, maybe like a year ago called "Never Split the Difference." It's written by a guy who was a former FBI hostage negotiator, and so the example is split the difference is like oh you know we're stuck here maybe we're ten thousand dollars apart. Let's just split the difference and like meet in the middle. But in his negotiations, he couldn't do that because he was talking about the lives of hostages and he couldn't say, okay, just killed half the hostages and let the other half go. And he talks about a bunch of different tactics, including uh, the price and terms one. He talks about part of it is like a competitive thing where he talks about like, the act of fighting for a negotiation actually helps the person who yields a little bit because they feel like a sense of like, oh, I got, you know, I, I didn't, what is it? If like, okay, like in Al's example, right? Um, you come in and just pay it. Then there's like this guilt or remorse that comes like, oh, you know, he might've been willing to pay more than that if I had had a higher price tag. And they actually come out of it feeling like they, they got less than what they should have gotten. Where if if you come in and negotiate, and then finally like they're like, okay, you know, we 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 came down a little bit, but I don't think he was willing to make a deal at at such price. There's like a little bit more satisfaction that comes from it on both parties, just from having the the interaction of the negotiation. There's all these cool things in the book. I definitely recommend it for anyone who's interested in in becoming a better negotiator. I think it's a super valuable skill for anyone to have in any walk of life. And so here we have two people from different walks of life approaching it very differently. <laughs> um, thank you guys for sharing. And I'll always, uh, thanks for being on the show. Uh, I, I, Anything you guys want to add? Say, Alex, I think you supported me. Al hurt their feelings by not negotiating a nickel and diming them. That's what the, I got out of the book. They, they, uh... <laughs> you made them feel they left oh, money on God. the table, Al. You're a terrible person. That's <laughs> No, no. Now, Al has a heart of gold, but I, I do have a few distinct memories no. of you mm -mm. being perfectly okay no, I have with no confrontation. Like, I don't think that's a problem for you. Like the idea of the tension of, of like, yeah. oh, like I don't want to disappoint this person. I don't think that was ever the issue for you, right? Al's okay hurting people's feelings and just kind of speaking the truth. Yeah, Al has never had any issue yeah. <laughs> expressing himself quite well. I remember yeah. the, was it yeah, the story, that, a... that one guy who pissed you off and then you ended up accidentally bending your steering wheel yeah. when you yelled yeah, at him? Was, uh, <laughs> he completely Ford caved in, he just walked away. In Buffalo, New York. And uh, yeah, that was Al constraining his, his anger. He, yeah. he like spud, uh, you know, got in front of me and he like stopped his car suddenly he got out and he was like pounding on the roof of my car and i went to get out of my car and my buddy was in the car and he was like oh what are you doing i was like i'm gonna get out of the car he's like don't get out of the car he's like why he's like because i know you and this isn't gonna go well don't get out of the car so i rolled i rolled down my window just a little bit and i was like 
there might have been a few expletives that came out. And, uh, you know, he yelled something that was really, I don't know if he was, at the time, I was, like, just in undergrad, like, maybe. So, so, so for those of you who are not watching the show, uh, actually just listening to it, you probably you probably can't tell, but, uh, <laughs> you know, with his gentle voice here. But Al, Al is freakishly strong. He's got farm boy strength. He's like built like an ox. <laughs> He's a big dude with martial arts training, so it's not just oh, strong. No, no, it's like no, it's it, you know, but that would be the worst person to road rage on. Like, it's and a, you're the more sarcastic human being I know. Like, confrontation is not a problem. This for you. just <laughs> happened a few months ago, and it was really between myself and an administrator at a hospital. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I had a gentleman come in who had a uh, infected uh, knee and he's a very large man. He's like 430 pounds. And he had had a knee replacement that I had actually done on him a number of years earlier when he weighed only 280 pounds, right? So he's gained a tremendous amount of weight. And in the interim, um, maybe like five years after I did his knee replacement, he had fallen and landed on this knee and he shattered his kneecap and I had to rebuild his extensor mechanism. So his patellar tendon, quadriceps tendon, you know, all that stuff we had to rebuild. And when you do that, you use, um, there's different ways to do it, but one of the ways to do is you use a synthetic, like a plastic mesh, which adds strength because the tissue doesn't tend to want to heal really well. So this guy had had that done, right? So he had a knee replacement. He had had an extensor mechanism reconstruction. He had a synthetic plastic mesh in there. And fast forward like a year or two after that mesh, um, he showed up and somehow he got some infection in there. Uh, I think he was like kneeling on it, working in his furnace or something, and something stabbed into it. So that's a that's a major issue um, because all of that artificial stuff, the metal, the plastic, the mesh, which is entwined into his extensor mechanism, is a nidus for that infection, right? It like binds to it, and you can't really get it to go away, right? You just can't do it. So classically, you'd want to take that knee out, right, and you know, put a antibiotic, you know, spacer in there that kind of helps you to kill the infection and come back and do that. But this guy's got a very unique situation. Number one, his body habitus, right? The guy can't lay flat at this point without losing his breath, his metabolic demand. He's a massive human being, right? So even something like amputation, taking the leg off, right? His metabolic demand to move around is going to be, you know, exponentially higher right and his heart can't take that so this is essentially a life-threatening condition for this guy right it's not like you know i'm doing open heart on him right now because he's had a heart attack but it's it's uh it's something that if left he will die from right and there's no question in my mind about that so i'm like well i can't really take everything out because then we kill his extensor mechanism and a knee that can't extend isn't really a useful knee, right? It doesn't work. And then you're like, well, do I take it out and fuse his knee? And there's, like, there's a whole bunch of scenarios to get into as to, like what you could do. So you kind of build that problem list, right? And you prioritize what are my priorities here? 
And so my priorities were number one, keep them alive. Number two, how do I at least suppress this infection to the point that we can get him to bariatrics to lose 200 pounds? And then those other options that at his size would likely kill him all of a sudden become an option. But that's not something that's happening anytime soon, right? That's like a long process to accomplish those goals. So I called my buddies at an uh, institution that I trained at because I knew they were doing a research project on something kind of for this scenario, right, where you can't do what classically you've been taught to do. And I was like, can you send me the protocol? And they sent me the protocol, even though it's in the research phase. And I went to the hospital that my patient was at, and I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And then all of a sudden, I started getting all these phone calls, and I've never had that before. And it was from the administrators. And the administrators, like, wanted to meet with me, so I had to, like, go and sit down and meet with them. And they were like, you know, how do we do this? Hospital administrators, yeah. You know, and I was like, well, you know, this thing will run antibiotics and a constant irrigation through this the hospital like five days straight. And then once that's done, then I can, so I take them to the OR, you know, wash everything out really good because the solution to pollution is dilution, right? And then, but you can dilute with antibiotics, right? And at this point we have an organism, so we can kind of make those antibiotics be more of a sniper rifle, less of a shotgun, right? They can be very specific with them. And you can actually rinse this, you know, stuff out for five days straight, right? That's a lot of, a lot of debridement, a lot of kind of lowering that bacterial load just to get us to the point where we can like suppress it, right? And so they were flipping out because it's studied, you know, it's obviously it's past the safety, um, you know, the safety requirements to meet clinical trial, right? But it's not standard of care. And the antibiotics that I was putting through there would be considered, um, you know, like nephrotoxic or they could damage someone's kidneys. And these are antibiotics that we use all the time, right? And we know that it can damage people's kidneys. And we monitor them when they get these antibiotics through their veins to make sure that they're at appropriate levels so you don't damage their kidneys, right? So, you know, they were in kind of, you know, CYA mode. They were like, well, who's responsible if, this guy winds up on dialysis because he killed his kidneys with this. And I was like, well, who's responsible if he dies? And they go, well, who's responsible if, you know, it doesn't work. I was like, well, if we do nothing, what happens? You know? So, and this went back and forth. And so then finally they told me that I couldn't use it. And I found the uh, CMO or the chief medical officer of the hospital who's in the ER uh, she's an ER physician. I went down, I spoke with her and I was like, you know, cause she was one of the people who was calling me about it. And the, the person who made the decision that I couldn't use it was the pharmacy, right? The pharmacist, not a physician, the pharmacist. So I went down and I spoke to the chief medical officer who's a physician and she was like, yeah, sorry, nothing I can do. And I was like, wait, 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 you need to tell me that you're letting the pharmacy make a medical treatment plan decision. So you need to think very carefully about the precedent that you're about to set right here because that's not their job, right? It's a physician's job is to diagnose, develop a treatment plan, and execute, right? That's not the pharmacy's job. That's our job. Um, 
And so then she was like, yeah, I don't know. And so then when she was just kind of blowing me off, there was like a patient having a schizophrenic break in like ER Bay 5. And I kind of got a little loud, maybe a little bit. And the schizophrenic just like shut it down, just like stopped. <laughs> and then I was like, is there a single physician on the pharmacy board here? And so sure enough, there's one physician on the entire pharmacy board for this health system. So I was like, get him on the horn. And she's like, well, I don't know how to, I'm like, figure it out. Get him on the horn. You have two minutes. I was like, cause I have this guy in preoperative holding ready to roll, you know? So I got this physician on the phone. I speak to her. And then within 30 seconds of speaking to her, she was like, absolutely makes sense. Go ahead and do it. I was like, perfect. Hung up the phone. We're good to go. Pharmacy still wouldn't do it because the protocol that I had sent them was a screenshot that I got from my buddies at the place where I had previously trained, you know, and they were doing me a solid by helping me, sending me this protocol, right? And the pharmacist goes, well, I don't have the protocol. I was like, yes, you do. They're like, well, no, I don't. And they were like, well, I was like, yes, you do. And they were like, well, I have a screenshot of it. I was like, yes. And within that screenshot is the protocol. And they were like, well, we send uh, messages in a um, like a secured program specific through the hospital. And it times out like after three or five days and the messages are lost. And he goes, well, what am I supposed to do once this thing times out and I don't have this screenshot anymore? And I like paused for a second. I was like, what do you mean? He's like, well, it's going to disappear. I was like, you could copy it and paste it into something else. You could write it down. And then I started getting a little sarcastic. I was like, you could write with a pen. You could write with a pencil. You could use a crayon. You could write it in Braille. I was like, you could type it out. You could type it out in Swahili, English, Hebrew, anything in between, however you want to get it. But we have the protocol right in front of us, and I'm staring at it, and you're staring at it right now. So uh, finally, what I did was it uh, took uh, two minutes to type out the protocol in a, you know, Word document and then sent them that, the exact same thing that they had. It's doing very, very well, right? A little sarcastic and certainly down, right? You're not letting that one slide. Yeah. <laughs> I broke the phone that I was talking to the pharmacist on. Sometimes yeah. you got. I like it. I think sometimes you got to yeah, be an asshole. You know, it, it's uh, their priorities and yours aren't always aligned. And I think no, you know, more and more I listen to your guys' you were podcast. Fighting for somebody's life, right? You, know, you were it, fighting. It's for interesting them. in your world because it seems like there's a lot of people that have the same priorities that you have, but that's not the case in every field, right? And so I think that that is probably one of the reasons why people are a little scared, a little hesitant to get into it, right? Because priorities don't always. Yeah, it happens frequently, and I think um, I think especially the most successful people do that well, right? Because um, you know, it's like I mean, I don't know. There's different worlds. Obviously, we cover a lot of different stuff on the show, but like education and growth, and and um, you know, taking investor money or, or whatever it is, it's all. 
if you can put those people, those people's interest first, then you're in a better position to, to win and to, to win again and again, to build something that's really meaningful. So, so yeah, it's definitely awesome. a good thing to, to keep in mind and, and always, I guess, track is where are those interests and yeah. Well, guys, um, Al, it's always good to talk to you. You are a good uh, storyteller, man. And uh, <laughs> hopefully you might Thanks be the first guest to do a three-peat on the show. I, uh, so right now you're at two. We're, we're always honored to have Empire. you on the show. Man. Hey, I'll come back. Thank you again. Get a nice cream cone about. next time. <laughs> right look, on. I like it. We'll look forward to it, man. All right, brother. Well, take care. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Mm-hmm.